what is the best way to heal people in 5e healing spirit i, I suppose that is that is one way to do it the other way to do it of course is to let them die and then oh bring them back okay, to the dead yes. right okay yeah <laughs> common room in new york city i'm your host shane and i'm your host ishan and welcome to episode 313 of total party thrill a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours in this episode we're talking about playing shared characters but first the party takes a bath in the gates of morning campaign and later sharing is caring carries the party in the character creation forge Oh no, the party took a bath in the Gates of Morning campaign. Did they follow my uh, collecting advice? Uh, yes. Last week, mm-hmm. they, they collected dice and just... If you recall, Warden dives in. Timed the market wrong? <laughs> and here we it's are. good. So bad. Market cratered. Nobody's buying handmade dice anymore. Uh, pe- what's the penny stock version of dice? <laughs> the HD or Dixie dice? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go on to the, to the Gates of Morning. The Gates of Morning campaign is our 5th edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in Fairhaven, the peaceful capital of Ondaire, the party is hunting down quarry mine seeds. In the cathedral, two psychic horrors remain, assailing the minds of the party inside the ruined temple. One of them attacks Warden, flailing in his elemental form with tentacled arms. But it is unable to grapple the air he is made of and remains trapped in his world. The last creature howls into Zan's mind. And though the warlock tries to fight it off, he falls under its spell. Before it teleports to safety behind a statue in a nearby alcove. Warden pummels his captive, giving Switch an opening to charge. The paladin puts a rapier through both of the creature's eyes, channeling divine fury through the blade, and Warden tosses its limp form aside. Bramble and Vesicod fire a volley of scorching beams at the final creature behind the statue. It is badly burned, but it maintains its mental grip on Xan, and it commands him to attack Bramble and channel his spells into the assault. With unblinking eyes, the enchanted warlock fells the shifter with a single blow from his conjured glaive. Zan can feel confusion flowing from his weapon as his patron ancestor tastes shifter blood for the first time. Then a practiced, almost lazy backswing dives straight for Lenore's head, but Vesicod bends her luck, twisting reality just enough to knock the killing blow aside. So, still very much alive, Lenore stands and looses another shot into the last aberration before Switch stabs it through the heart. As it dies, they all feel a psychic breeze stir their minds, though no wind blows in the chapel. While the others briefly rest, Switch calls upon the Traveler's blessing of knowledge and examines the bodies. They look like humans with grafted aberrant parts, not aberration human hybrids as they expected. Warden turns back to the dark well, reaches inside, and pulls the lever. Slowly, the water level drops, and they can hear the sound of grating stone and sloshing water. The bottom of the basin now extends 50 feet below into a stone staircase. They descend carefully, 
and find a roughly circular room hewn from natural stone. The only feature is the arcane scrawl of a large teleportation circle, though it has no sigil sequence. The stone stairs retract into the ceiling, and the room is lit only by the dim glow of Esikod's lantern. Sand peers at the circle, guessing it's used for short-range transport. Readying themselves, the party stands outside the circle, and Lenore intones the Reagern passphrase. On the psyche, no scars remain. As she speaks, the words appear in green reagent script on the circle where the sigil sequence would be. But the text only fills a little more than half the circle. A few moments later, they hear a slight hissing sound, and a fine red mist begins spraying from the circle. In a few minutes, it has drenched them, and they can tell it smells and feels like blood. Where it touches bare skin, it stings. Borden, of course, collects a vial for later analysis. And before they can look for another way forward, the room vanishes. They are teleported away to a similar circle. But this one is in a room made of worked metal. Two short hallways lead to separate doors. Behind the left one, they hear a breeze. Behind the right, low, haunting moaning. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. And this week, we are talking about, well... A topic that helps us use every part of the buffalo when it comes to Band of Blades, uh, <laughs> the game we are currently in a campaign of. Uh, so we are talking about sharing characters. So one of the most common conceits of modern RPGs is that each player has their own character, right? I mean, these grew out of war games where you're at controlling armies and like the big innovation was you have your own character and they're they're you, and they've got a backstory and motivations and they make decisions and take actions and like all the consequences of that are exclusively your own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We're just going to accept that myth to keep moving through the premise. Let's and go. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> there are a handful of games that break this rule, opting instead to have players share one or more characters. This introduces obvious complications. Uh, but it does also open up new opportunities for storytelling and can bond players together in ways that traditional gameplay usually can't. All right, so let's talk about some of the methods in which players can share characters within certain games. The first one is that players share the only character in the game. This is everyone is John. The players are competing to gain control of the titular John uh, and use him to do whatever it is that they want that fit their objectives. It's still a game about telling a communal story, but it's competitive, right? You're competing with each other for control of the character. Yeah, it's less about sharing the character and more about like using the mechanics to understand how the narrative moves back and forth between people trading off control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, like the only caveat here is like, you know, don't be an asshole. And, like, the game will be fine. Yeah, well, it's, it, I mean, it's a comedy game. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's it's meant to be wacky and zany and uh, produce unexpected outcomes. It's, if you take it more serious than the hour you should spend playing it, you're probably just doing it wrong. Uh, there are also scenarios where players share a single character, but then also have their own characters. Uh, Kids on Bikes does this. Uh, different players have control of different aspects of a single character that has superpowers, essentially. Uh, in order to sort of make this work at the table, I mean, it's a it's a mechanic that you don't usually see 
at a table. So you need to, the, the table needs to practice and like develop a rhythm for switching control of the character right in the middle of a session. Like it, you know, it sort of happens on the fly. Um, and so like there, there needs to be conversations at the table about like when it is appropriate to switch or like when someone needs to switch and whether that is a handing off or whether that is like a, not necessarily grabbing kids on bikes doesn't really do it that way, but like, uh, like taking control of the narrative. Yeah. I mean, I think this is one of those classic, uh, classic remedies in like the D and D party when somebody's absent, right? Like, what do you do with their character? Well, one, one thing you could do is share control of their character, uh, throughout the adventure. So you still have a cleric, um, or it's another way to share control of like a DMPC, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the party's companion that, you know, your GM ostensibly controls, but ultimately the party is kind of sharing what it is you want them to do. Right. They don't have their own agenda. Right. Till the inevitable betrayal, of course. Um, this also works sort of in an abstracted ways in games like uh, Blades in the Dark, where there is a crew sheet where like the um the criminal crew that you all are a part of has its own essentially character sheet and you all contribute to that and you all decide where like the xp gets spent and like what new abilities the crew and therefore all of you gain uh scum and villainy does this as well with like the ship the, the yeah spaceship. that's what i was gonna say yeah like your your ship in scum and villainy almost becomes more of a character i think than like the the crew and the hideout and band of blades um just by the nature of it having a little more like active agency mm -hmm. um but yeah no totally totally works if you share um a resource like that 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 kind of has uh the ability to like kind of take on the personality of the of the group yeah like it's representative of all of you in a way and so like both in the game itself people are expressing themselves through that quote-unquote character and then above the table it's the same thing right who's deciding or lobbying for like what the XP or the money or whatever is spent on. Yeah. And I mean, if you're Cam and I, it's always going to be first on your ice cream paint job. I mean, look, a one in six chance of, you know, deflecting a hit. It's yeah. not the worst thing to spend money on. Perfect paint job. Cam is like, I don't know. Can I get plus one AC to the, to the spaceship? <laughs> There's probably a way. Yes. Uh, and then an, and then a third way that this can manifest in a game is that players have a roster of characters that any of them might play in any given session. This was kind of popularized a while back with Ars Magica's troop system, where players control uh, companion characters or grog characters, essentially like minions and hirelings and things like that, uh, while oh, one player actually gets to play their magus each session. <laughs> Uh, this is also the the conceit of Band of Blades, right? Uh, and and uh, our 40k derivative that we're playing is that you are uh, on any given mission, potentially playing you know any of the characters that you have uh, outlined as members of the uh, company. Yeah, I'll I'll note here that one of the reasons that I think it works really well is that you also, in addition, have characters that you don't trade off. Like everyone has their one um, command staff character and then the like the soldier characters that people play 
during the like quote unquote adventuring phases of the game, uh, you can play any of a, a number of characters, assuming that they're still alive. Right. So there are a lot of benefits here. I mean, I think you can obviously like sharing any sort of resource comes with its own issues, but in terms of the benefits of sharing characters, there are a lot that may not be readily apparent. I think the first one is like, there's a, it's a change of pace, right? Like it is pretty hard to get bored of a game or of a story or whatever, when there are, you know, whatever, six different characters for you to choose from every single session. Mm -hmm. You know, you show up and you don't even necessarily know who you're going to play because that's something that you're going to decide in game together. Right. Um, it can also force players to expand their horizons, right? You might not end up playing your kind of favorite archetype of character, but you'll probably find one available that you like. Uh, you know, it's like you get to you get to try before you buy. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. It's almost like the like speed running being a new player, right? You don't have to wait till next campaign in order to find out how wizards play. Like you can play a wizard next week. Yeah, it's also nice with like analysis paralysis where you're like, ah, oh, I don't know what it is I want to play. I don't want to get like locked in or whatever. You're 100% not locked in. You know, if you hate it, great. Never play that character again. Exactly. I'm done being the sniper. Sniping's boring. Give me somebody who punches. <laughs> it it reminds me a little bit of like, I think this happens to a lot of new players. It, it happened to me. Like when, when I first started playing RPGs, it was, I, I don't know, Melee gets all the glory, right? You know, or, or there's a certain type of person who like always wants like the spells and wants to be the wizard, but you know, like you're 17 years old and everyone in your gaming group has only played the same type of character ever since you started playing. Why would you branch out? I haven't gotten tired of this yet. You know, <laughs> fast forward 10 years though. <laughs> and you're, you're starting to be like, ah, let me, let me try something new. Right. Yeah, or alternatively, you're the newest player, so you got cleric. Yeah. And you don't get a choice. You're the healer now. Kind of nice not to be stuck that way. Um, this is also a great way to try out multiple mechanics uh, and, and learn, you know, different aspects of the system very quickly by being directly exposed, learn by doing. Yeah, and I think this, this also appeals to the kind of player who I think gets bored very quickly with with the mechanical aspect of their character. Like I, I know a lot of people who love their backstory of their character, but they feel really tied down with like the capabilities of the character or like the, their choices in combat or during a particular session or whatever. Right. So they sort of get like that um, level seven itch <laughs> where they're like, I want to do something else, you know? And, and now you're like trying to figure out what's the continuity and are they related to this person? But what about all the like, you know, hooks that like I built into this, blah, 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 blah. And in a situation where you've got characters where you can switch off it again, you're not, you're not going to get bored with the mechanics because the mechanics can be different every single session and you can be very good at them. Right. Like it's really appealing to people who like enjoy system mastery. Uh, from more of a story perspective, uh, it can be helpful to uh, encourage everyone at the table to develop empathy or insight into every other character in the story. Um, especially like, you know, some of the, some of the characters that kind of naturally get highlighted by the story, right? Like in, in our game, uh, we have, uh, we have one, one trooper named Tasha who 
was demoted from uh that's zaya oh it's zaya isn't it yeah mm-hmm. tasha's the sniper who we you're also right. are paying attention to because she's got a cherry shot sitting right there you're right you're right you're right which everyone is very invested in mm-hmm. uh and even though they're saving that cherry shot for for Steph to use. Um, <laughs> yes, you're right. So Zaya was demoted from uh, from being a specialist back to being a trooper. And so everyone has kind of played her at one point. Everyone has grown invested in this story of like, what is she willing to do in order to gain the trust of the regiment back um, and, and earn her promotion back into to being a specialist? Uh, and will she like, will she crack... Will she break before she reaches that point where she regains that trust? And it's now like she started incidentally using combat drugs. So now there's a question of like, is it her or is it the drugs? Like she's got all types of doubt. She's got a lot more depth than we thought we would have from like, hey, here's a here's a devil's bargain. She gets demoted. But right. you get the thing you want. Rather than summary execution. Yeah. I right. mean, look, you you put our group in charge of one character and like bad things happen. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, I will say, uh, Tiger's Eye is like I think one, maybe the only character, the only like main, like regular rotation character that I haven't played, and I think that's because I'm very invested in like the command staff character that I play and their interaction of just busting her chops every single opportunity. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. What whatever the opposite of empathy is, antipathy. Yeah sociopathy <laughs> that's what ishan has developed for this character and and if i play tiger's eye then like if i like i always play the adjutant right because that's how the game works and then i'm just talking to myself right <laughs> and i think this is something that's like definitely not to be overlooked and something i hadn't necessarily assumed would happen when we were switching off characters for the first time like i i was thinking naturally like oh this could be potentially difficult there's some challenges here but yes it helps you develop empathy for the character or or sympathy because like you have been in a situation or a similar situation with that exact same character right Mm -hmm. um but also like you have put a little bit of yourself into that character right like part of their history was decided by you and so you have a lot of insight into who the character is, right? It's not like I didn't, I didn't play your character, Shane, right? You didn't hand me your character sheet for one session, although that is that is like something that you could potentially do to like mix things up for a little bit, right? Like a, a mind switching session can be like a fun thing that happens, you know? Um, it, it was my sheet. It is my sheet currently, right? So like anything that that character is doing. I am still invested in because like next week that could be my sheet again. Right. Right. I think another thing that we've seen is that players are more inclined to take risks when you don't have sole ownership of a character because, you know, your investment is a week's length, not, you know, months length. Yeah. Like it makes you more, this is a double-edged sword, but it makes you, I think a little more short-sighted, honestly, like, I am not necessarily playing this character next week for all I know for all of this character may as well be dead to me next week. You know, I mean, it's not, it's not to that level, but it is very much like, will I expend all of this character's resources now in order to make cool stuff happen? Yeah. I'm probably more inclined to do that. Right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not holding anything back for next week because might not be next week. Right. And like, also just 
the conceit of the band of blades system specifically, right? Is that because there are so many characters, you can have someone, some just sit on the sidelines and not be played by anybody Mm -hmm. to recuperate. Whereas there are other types of games where like everyone needs to get played or there's an exact number of characters based on the number of people. And so you're rotating, but no one can sit out. Right. I think it also can lead to increased engagement off turn. I am paying attention to what every character is doing because they are also my character. You know, I want to know what their capabilities are. I want to know what cool thing happened. I want to know when they get injured or wounded because that might be my injury or wound the next time we play and I have to deal with it. You know, I've played that character three sessions. Like I know how the, um, how the medic works, Mm -hmm. right? So if there's a question, I need to know what's going on and pay attention so that I can like help the player who just picked up the sheet five minutes ago make sense of when do I use this ability versus when do I use that ability? And, oh, did you see this ability on the back of the sheet? Right. And not only not only to, like, make gameplay go more smoothly, but also to, like, make sure that all the characters are being played optimally or, like, even just, like, well, you know? Yeah, I mean, you don't want to overlook, like, <laughs> the obvious thing, right? And I think in Band of Blade specifically, it's always the class abilities, right like your your doctor skill or your grit or whatever because like the definition is actually sitting on the back of the sheet it's like you got to remember to turn it over and it's like then you're looking for like oh what is the what is the trigger for this thing well if you've played that character or that that archetype a couple times like you're familiar with that playbook then like yeah okay well you'll you'll spot that like hey here's a good idea for grit you know because you're about to you're about to resist something pop grit right hey use that right now I think it can also increase engagement after a missed session because it wasn't that my character just sat on the sidelines and didn't do anything or wasn't there or or whatever. Like, I didn't have a character that session, but the one that I'm playing right now did something. So, like, I want to know what happened. And then I think um, perhaps the most pragmatic uh, benefit is that it can help cover and patch up spotty attendance. So if you have a player who, um, you know, for a period is is very inconsistent in their ability to make it to the game, or you know, you frequently have, you know, four or five players, but you don't always have the same four or five players because you know life and jobs and whatever. Like this can help kind of bridge that gap. And we've we've definitely had situations where like, you know, week over week even within the same mission, right? Like the characters on the mission didn't change, but the person playing them did because, you know, you were here for the first half, but then you weren't here for the second half because you had a, you know, a work dinner or whatever. And then it was like, okay, well, this player is back this week, so they're going to cover for you and they're going to play the character that you had. And like, oh, we had, you know, one fewer players this week. So their character is just going to kind of go back to the bench and we'll just continue on with these. Yeah, like it, is so good for continuity because we never need to have someone fade into the background in the middle of a combat that we paused for a session break. Right. You know, because that character is still doing exactly what they were doing. It might just be a different person piloting them. Right. Um, same thing with like kids on bikes, you know, where like the conceit is that the, the shared character has, you know, superpowers. Um, and part of that is like a balance issue where like everyone has like a normal kid and then everyone shares in the capabilities of the superpowered kid. So it's not a situation where like 
one person is playing, you know, 11 mm-hmm. and everyone else is playing a, a kid who stands on the sidelines and can't do anything. Right. 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 Um, but it also means that like, if anyone is missing a session, like the, the show can, can still go on and you never have a, a situation where the super powered kid just isn't there or there's no one to make their decisions. Right. Right. Yeah. This is, uh, in our rogue trader game. Yeah. <laughs> in a lot of ways, this is the rogue <laughs> trader, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> That's okay. We're uh, they delegate, right? <laughs> uh, rogue trader in absentia, <laughs> the captain errant. However, of course, there are a lot of challenges that come from playing an atypical format in RPGs, and I think the the first one, the the sort of like main hump you need to get over when you're playing communal characters is uh, everyone is precious. Like This is a hobby where players often spend hours planning and building their character. So it makes tons of sense that they feel ownership over that character, even if it's a situation where other people are entitled to play the character or own the character or whatever. And I think the way that we generally solve that is we give, you know, the creator or the primary player the right of first refusal. So, hey, you know, you made the Medicaid. Do you want to continue playing them or would you like to switch it up? And like after like, you know, three sessions, it's kind of like, you've been playing this character a lot. Let's not be too precious here. Like you have to play somebody else, you know? <laughs> like Yeah, yeah. We, we gotta mix it up a little bit. We gotta play the game the right way. You gotta you gotta push some people sometimes, right? Because like you built the character, you played the character, all right. Um, you played the character again. And it's like, okay, you sort of need to jump in the deep end of playing different characters. And I think this is something that happens not the first time that you play a different character. It happens every time you play a different character because you're like, all right, I like playing the Medicaid. Oh, okay. I had to like expand my horizons and like I played the sniper. You know what? I really like the sniper too. But like, I don't want to play the brawler. That sucks. Forget that until you're forced to play the brawler. And now you're like, well, actually, this was fun as well. I I enjoyed that. (laughs) Repeat ad nauseum with every single role. Right, right. Um, so I think it's important, like to encourage people to switch characters, right? Like, especially early on, like get used to playing, you know, one or two different characters, at least, uh, in addition to the, the first one you played so that you at least feel like you've got a stable, right. Mm -hmm. And you aren't Mm -hmm. attached to a single. And I think that's important is to break that sort of habitual attachment. Yeah. And you want to make sure that you do that because your favorite is going to be taken by somebody at some point, Mm -hmm. you know? And they're liable to do something that you wouldn't have done or may not like. Like they might take the character in a darker direction or a goofier direction than you were expecting. And they have every right to do that, right? Like you have to let go of that ownership of creation. Mm -hmm. Now you can kind of like hedge hedge things here a little bit. You know, it, it can be helpful to... Um, when it comes to like progression, right, figuring out where to spend XP, leveling up or whatever, either letting the player who created the character in the first place make those decisions or guide those decisions, or what we tend to do is sort of make decisions as a table because like everyone owns these. So like, what is the next thing the Medicaid is going to do? Because like, it's our Medicaid. Yeah, and and usually that goes like, hey, which type of archetype were you planning for this? And like, what ability was next? And then like, Okay, cool. Like, so we'll default to that, uh, unless there's, you know, something that has happened more acutely 
in which we would say, all right, well, I think given the fact that he just, you know, lost his left hand to uh, a, a, a heroic stand against a Carnifex, like maybe he'll take this ability instead of the ability we originally planned, you know, like maybe it is time for, you know, uh, eat iron nails. I mean, it's always time for that one. That was a, that's a great ability. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but maybe not the first ability you take, you know, maybe it's like the third ability you take, but we're going to, we're going to, we're going to rush it. Yeah. So a, a different kind of problem is when you get a player who really feels like they don't have a horse in the race. You know, they, they are playing a character and they're not really invested in them. And it's, it's worse. It is the worst when they're playing a character that they're not really invested in and someone else at the table is very invested in the character. Yeah. And that's, I, that's almost like an above the table problem at that point, right? Like you need to kind of ensure that when you're playing with somebody else's character, like you're treating it like somebody else's toys, right? You, you got to be respectful that it isn't just yours. Uh, you can't just throw it in the box the way that you do with yours. Yeah. Or, or even, you know, in a way that you wouldn't do with yours. Right. Cause like, right. This other person spent a bunch of time and like, you know, went through all the trouble of making a backstory, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So like get into it, right? Like, pay attention when someone else is playing that character like that, that it's sort of a thing that you should have done already right but in the future do that but like proactively preemptively pay attention to like the motivations and and like the role play of everyone else's character in the group because at any moment those could become your character and you'll have a better understanding of like who the character is and why they would do things right I think it's really helpful if you leave like one or two words of notes uh, for future players on the sheet and then everybody who plays them adds something, mm -hmm. right? And it's just, it's cues, right? It's just describe this character in three words, right? They're brave, they're strong, and they're terrified of being like embarrassed, right? Or terrified of public speaking right terrified of leadership whatever right and it's like okay those are the three things i know about them all right and and then in this session we learned that like they're also um you know willing to sacrifice themselves to protect their comrades mm -hmm. like cool so like make a note of that right and then it's like you, you just kind of keep building the traits over time of kind of what's emerged about the character through play yeah and then some of those will change right like you're beginning to confront your fear of leadership because you know, you were the officer in charge after someone else died or whatever, right? Like Right. Or you're you're growing jaded and you <laughs> turns out you don't really like the members of your squad. <laughs> <laughs> um when I build a character that I know is going to be used communally, I one of the first notes I, I mean, I like to leave personality notes, but I also like to leave just a little bit about the direction that I'm intending. Mm -hmm. And and that is both like both for role play, but also for mechanics, because in a lot of games, I mean, we know this a lot in a lot of games, there is like a right way and a wrong way to build a character. And you can uh, definitely yes, like ivory <laughs> tower game design. You, if you make the wrong decision at any point, you can completely screw over the character, right? So in those systems, it is useful to have like 
uh, path plotted out. But even even if not, like for example, I built um, like a, a backup sharpshooter for our Band of Blades game, and like one note I left was, we already have a sharpshooter who uses who, who has like a sniper rifle, right? This one, if they actually make it to sharpshooter, is going for dual pistols. <laughs> so like take a Kimbo as soon right. as you level up, like do that and want like, that's cool for the group, but also like cool for the character. Right. Right. And like, I really feel like it's sort of in this situation, it is on each player to get invested in the character that they are playing. And you could do that by like, you know, Oh, what a cool backstory. Like I, I oh, wow, I'm playing Tiger's eye and like, she's been through so much and like, you know, what, what is the lens through which, I'm playing this session or the mechanics or both. Right. But like you, you can also just be like, I don't care about this character's personality, but like, I really do enjoy trying out the mechanics of this sheet. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's been interesting actually in, in Legion of Las guns, uh, Arma, who is cam's first specialist. Um, I think genuinely because cam had low investment in his character kind of just started doing daredevil stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and now, like, now everyone just makes Arma, like, the first one out of the, tra like, the first one over the wall, the mm -hmm. first one into the breach, right? And it's just, like, somehow he keeps surviving, and now he's, like, grown in legend, and now everybody who plays him feels like, well, I mean, he's Arma. Like, what is he going to do, not be the first one through? Like, right. of course he leads the charge. <laughs> like, <laughs> What like, else is he good at? Yeah. <laughs> um, You can also kind of run into that problem though uh of where it doesn't become charming it becomes truly an issue and that's the sort of tragedy of the commons right in in the sense that if no one feels ownership of this character and nobody has a connection to a character then they're very expendable and it's tough to really get any sort of investment in them and they end up being kind of nameless faceless filler even when they're you know <laughs> they're all you get for a session right like i've got to play this session as like a red shirt now like mm -hmm. that that can kind of suck yeah i mean it it's not necessarily a bad thing because it is it can be good for a game to have expendable grunts but you don't want to end up in a situation where you are stuck with the expendable grunt but i mean this is also it's, it's also a choice right like you can mm -hmm. if you've been assigned a red shirt like die die heroically <laughs> Given that, you know, Band of Blades is a game that, like, is very often strategically sound to redshirt somebody, mm -hmm. right? To just from the start, like, okay, this is an, an otherwise nameless trooper, and, like, all I want is to get this, like, to get our specialist through safe and sound. So if it means killing off one redshirt that I'm playing, like, my goal is, like, hey, I'm Corporal Redshirt. Like, put me in the front. I'll take the bullet for you. You know, like fill me with arrows. I'm your pincushion, and and like we don't do that though, right? And like in neither of the campaigns we played in the system did we really do that, even though it really would favor it. And that's because like people were empowered to create characters, and then they got attached, like from the start. Like I want to know what happens to this character. I don't want them to just be, you know, a Wilhelm scream waiting to happen. Yeah, it it is an interesting phenomenon where with like the roster system in general of like, you know, there are people waiting in the wings or whatever. 
we specifically, very specifically, don't name anybody. Yeah. <laughs> because we don't want to know their names because we don't want them to matter until they have to matter. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I think if we told Jim, who like currently is in, is like a marshal role and like, you know, is responsible for fielding teams, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I think if we told him, hey, can you randomly generate names for everybody every time it comes up? You'd happily do it because like he loves random tables. But we don't do that. We say, if you're going to play this character, what is their name? You know, and so now the first thing that everyone does, the first sort of touch point that everyone has with a character, even if they're expendable, is I have to name them. Uh huh. And like, I want it to be a cool name because like, I'm playing the character and like we're calling each other by that. You know, you know what I mean? So like mm -hmm. already you're dipping your toe in like characterization and like empathizing with them. And like it's very hard then not to put yourself in the shoes of the character and be like, no, I want to live. What are you talking about? You know, I, I mean, I'm GMing the game, so I really shouldn't have a lot of attachment to any of these characters, <laughs> especially a game like Band of Blades. But I named one character, and you guys <laughs> just won't respect Doug. <laughs> Doug with two Gs? No, of course not. That guy sucks. D-H-U-G-G, Doug. <laughs> it was randomly generated, and you guys won't respect it, and I just don't appreciate that. Nobody likes Doug. We're helping you characterize Doug. And as soon as one of us plays Doug, I don't know, maybe maybe he'll then like get a little shine on him. He'll be your first red shirt, I'm almost certain. Maybe. I mean, you know... You went through all that trouble of making a name. You want it to be remembered long after you're gone. <laughs> but I have a feeling no one's going to forget D-H-U-G-D Doug. Doug. <laughs> um, this is also the, the flip side of players being more likely to take risks. If they don't care mm -hmm. about the character that they have, then they'll just throw them away. And like, hey, I, I dive over the wall and follow Arma. You know, is that stupid given the capabilities of this character i don't know i don't care the risk is not the problem it's the taking the risk because your level of investment in a character is vastly different than somebody else's level of investment and therefore anything negative that happens doesn't affect you it affects them mm -hmm. right and so you're not you're not really sharing the burden of your decision equally and that's where i think this becomes really a problem yeah, and if you think about what is lost if that happens, like part part of the fun of communal characters is the switching, right? Mm -hmm. But another huge aspect of it that isn't apparent usually at first is the history of these characters that grows out of being controlled by different people. And if you sort of throw away your chance to either influence a character that lives or you know you you let a character die or disappear because you didn't really care what happened to them you have wasted an entire session of input you know like what you did doesn't live anywhere and it doesn't right. affect the story or anyone else's character like it you're not putting anything into the like the stone soup pot of this game right right and then i think the the kind of mechanically oriented challenge of of communal characters is you get the crossing the streams problem mm -hmm. of like it is now hard to keep track of 
the abilities that each character has, right? Like I've played three characters in three weeks. They all have two special abilities and a set of actions. Like, what am I good at? What are, what's, uh, what's my load supposed to be? What equipment am I supposed to take for this? Like, what is that ability? What's that trigger? Like what's going on? Okay. Oh yeah. I remember you did that thing last week. What was that? How did that work? Right? Like you just, you have like that sort of mental load happens every single week of like having to learn a new character, learn a new set of mechanics. It is a little bit like playing a 5e D&D game one week and then a second edition Pathfinder game the next week and like jumping <laughs> back and forth between them and being like, okay, what rules do what again? I know these are similar, but like, boy, there are a lot of words I don't quite remember. Yeah, they're just a little too similar it's like we're speaking spanish and portuguese now oh god <laughs> so you know it's it's it can be hard to keep track of your abilities it it is super difficult actually to make sure that you're pulling off combos or that you like set up combos for other people to use and you're just watching them not use them and like you know you're trying to help them at the table or whatever um it gets it's a lot of extra work, even if you're not confused, because if you're a player like me, who is a combination of tactician, butt kicker, power gamer, then... So power gamer, huh? Sure, yeah. I mean, now now I'm playing an entire party <laughs> <laughs> because I'm telling you what's the optimal way to play your character because I've played that character, and I'm telling you the best combo to do with this other <laughs> character because I've played that combo, you know? Like... And then like and then you're just on all the time, right? It's the opposite of like, oh, I'm I'm really invested off turn. It's like I have to pay attention to everything to make sure that we're doing it right. Right. <laughs> the way to modulate that is to make sure that everyone at the table uh is ready to give their input, right? So it isn't falling on one person and it isn't falling only on the person who owns a character. It's it's everybody who has played that character, still has some insight, right? And can still you know, share ideas. Yeah. And then I think it's also like on the game itself to have streamlined mechanics that mm -hmm. are relatively easy to run. Like you, you can't have an extremely complicated system and then also throw in the like churn of switching characters constantly. Yeah. I, I, I would not encourage this with like D and D spell casters. Right? Yeah. I mean, Where certainly like... not long-term. Yeah. No, like where you know where I've got fifteen spells on my spell list, and I got to figure out which of these to choose each time I take a rest. Like, forget it. Like, this is not happening. Okay, like I could barely keep track of which spells I'm supposed to take when I only know like eight spells as a sorcerer. I mean, that's that's why I pick four spells, and I only use those four spells. <laughs> exactly. That's why I have spell cards. I throw out the rest. They're useless. Oh, I, I just took a lot of um, uh, non-combat spells, so I won't <laughs> exactly. be tempted to look at them. Exactly. <laughs> Wait, how did you know how I played Druid? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, also you didn't take any healing. <laughs> That's not true. You took self-healing. <laughs> I took the one super OP one. <laughs> healing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but now that it's been eroded. <laughs> yeah, well, it's only Forget out of combat. <laughs> Was it uh, healing? Healing spirit, yeah. Healing spirit, yeah. All right, so we talked about it a little bit before, but this is a dynamic that you can throw into a game 
where it doesn't exist already, I would say that is like a very short term thing, but it doesn't need to be a one off thing. You know, like I, I definitely like the idea of a session where, you know, a psychic scrambled everybody's brains and you played Freaky Friday and it's literally like, great, hand your sheet to the left, mm -hmm. you know, and now you're playing this character and you can't explain to each other how it works because you're still getting used to these bodies, right? So like what you have is the knowledge of the character from what you've seen already and like what you can discern from the sheet but like any teaching of each other needs to happen in character right. agreed and then put everybody back in the right potties <laughs> <laughs> all right do you hear that ishan that is you trying to pantomime to me how to play this character because that doesn't count as table talk technically right uh well if i am pantomiming then it is me pantomiming an anvil hitting a hammer because it's time to move on to the Character Creation Forge. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. All right. So this week, we're building. Sharing is caring. Ishan, what is... Sharing is caring. Okay, Shane, I'm going to take you on a little journey with this one. I spent, again, way too long in building this character. Mm -hmm. uh, as you know, what is the best way to heal people in 5e? Healing spirit. Okay, yeah, I, I suppose that is that is one way to do it. The other way to do it, of course, is to let them die and then oh, bring them back okay, to the dead, yes. right? Okay, yeah. <laughs> yes, playing whack-a-mole, yes. Right. But one, uh, one, one bonus action heal, please. <laughs> but really, like the best, the best way to do it is to not let them get damaged in the first place. That is correct. The best way to do it is to have the damage on the, in on the income. Yeah, or, you know, kill the monsters first, whatever, but... We we are doing that first one. Sharing is Caring is a proactive healer who prevents damage by taking the whole party's damage on themselves. Just uh, like funnels it all right to me. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. How are we going to do that? All right. It is Divine Soul Sorcerer 10, Artillerist Artificer 4, Bear Barbarian 4, Fighter 2. Now... Does this sound weird? Yes, but this build is online at level three. And then after that, all your decisions are made totally up to you on survivability. <laughs> how okay. Do, I have now funneled the whole party's damage to me. How do I stay alive long <laughs> enough to keep doing that? <laughs> okay. Okay. So um, for race, you're going to pick tiefling because you start with fire resistance, which is nice. And then we'll explain in a bit why tiefling. Mm -hmm. But kick it off with three levels of Sorcerer. Now remember, Divine Soul Sorcerer can pick Cleric or Sorcerer Spells. Uh, we're here because we want a Cleric spell. This build is all about the spell Warding Bond. It is a... Ah. Yes, there you go. It is a Divine spell. It lasts for an hour with no concentration. You cast it on somebody else, and they get plus one to AC, plus one to saving throws, and resistance to all damage for an hour. That's awesome. 
The drawback, of course, is anytime they take damage, you take the same amount of damage. So if you look at the, the damage output, right, or I guess the damage input to the party, it's the same amount. You're not reducing damage anywhere, but right. they take half of it and now you take half of it. So like mm -hmm. it's a it's a fine spell. Usually clerics or paladins casting it and you know, you do it long enough and then you try to stop it because you're about to die. Um here's the thing though. They have resistance to all damage, but when you take the damage, that damage has not been reduced by resistance, which means that you can reduce the damage however you want. Warding Bond does not have that clause that so many damage transfer abilities have that the damage cannot be reduced further. So this build is going to direct all damage to itself and try to have resistance in as many different damage types as possible so that their damage is halved, it comes to you, and then it's halved again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, we're, we're not going to stop there. We are going to twin Warding Bond so that with a single second level cast of Warding Bond, we cover two allies. And then, here's the thing, you can cast Warding Bond as many times as you want on different people. So with one more cast, you have now covered four allies, all of them directing half of their damage to you, and all of them resisting half of all incoming damage. <laughs> okay. Of course, this means that you are taking two to four times as much damage. Yeah, uh, and you can't, as far as I can tell, heal yourself when you hit zero hit points, so... <laughs> What do we do? Uh, like I said, resistance is in as many things as possible. But actually, there are a lot of ways to really like mitigate the incoming damage. So you're mm -hmm. starting with fire resistance, right? But even at level three, you've got access to spells like Blade Ward. I don't think we have ever suggested in any builds in the Forge that a character take Blade Ward. I'm... Which is a cantrip. I'm... Yeah. <laughs> that gives you resistance to... Uh, weapon damage. So if you're in a situation where your ally who's out far in the front and, you know, you are not, obviously, because mm -hmm. you don't need to be taking any additional damage, all right? <laughs> you mostly want to deal with <laughs> the, the overflow damage from your allies. If uh -huh. they're mostly dealing with weapon damage from enemies, Blade Ward is not a bad option here. If they are dealing with anything other than elemental damage other than fire damage, absorb elements is really great, right? They're going to take half damage. You're going to get hit with the excess, and you're going to absorb elements to cut it in half again. Aid is a good spell for you. It ups your maximum HP. Bless is also really good here because it increases their saving throws, and if they save, then you are taking less damage automatically. Okay. Okay. Now... Uh, again, it's up to you what direction you go here. I would probably go Sorcerer 4 next so you get a feat. And I would take Infernal Constitution, which is a tiefling-only feat. Gives you plus one to Constitution, which should get you to 18 con now because you want as many HP as possible for this. It gives you resistance to cold damage and resistance to poison damage, which is two more resistances. That's great. Um, and at this level, poison is actually a really, really common damage type. So it's nice to just like have those always on and not have to worry about it. Also, absorb elements doesn't cover poison, so now you're covered there. Okay. Uh, then four levels of artificer because we need to increase our survivability. Aid increases your maximum HP, but another way to do that is temporary hit points. Unfortunately, temporary hit points are usually sort of like a one-off thing. Mm -hmm. uh, unless you're an artillerist artificer. 
So you'll get Infuse Item. Enhanced Defense is probably the way to go here. Um, but you get Eldritch Cannons at level 3. And the one you're interested in is the Protector. As a bonus action, you and... There's any number of allies within... Is it 10 feet? Anyway, a, a number of allies get 1d8 plus your Intelligence Modifier Temp HP. And you are going to do that every single round. So already you are having the damage that you are taking and you now have this buffer of, you know, 10 or 12 temp HP every round. Yep. Basically damage reduction. Got it. Exactly. Uh, I would take this to four again for another feat, probably metamagic adept, uh, which will give you two more sorcery points, which is going to let you uh, just twin more often, right? Because it's important to get that twinned warding bond out. Mm -hmm. Then counterintuitively, you go barbarian. So, and you know why? You you already see where this is going. Yeah, you're taking bear barbarian here so that you can get resistance to all damage except psychic. Right, and this is like a this is like a you know, uh, pull the fire alarm situation, right? Where I like, was gonna say yeah, because you can no longer cast spells. So right. your, remember, your existing warding bond is fine because it's not concentration, but nothing else you do. That's concentration will stay. Exactly. Fortunately, you don't really need to do anything except stay alive. Uh, yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so you get danger sense, which will help with your uh, dexterity saving throws. Great. You're never going to reckless attack. Don't do that. That would be dumb. It's two rages per day. Um, it is your last line of defense because you can't cast spells anymore. Right. Um, but, you know, you, you still have the option to, like, shoot people, beat on people if you really want. You know, like, there there are things for you to do. Um, and, again, I would take this to four for a feat. Probably, at this point, tough. And I don't think we've ever suggested the tough feat either. It gives you an extra two hit points per level, which, you know, you don't want to take it too early because it doesn't actually do that much. But the point of this is to increase your maximum HP to act as a massive damage buffer uh for like taking those huge packets of damage that are potentially getting directed to you like you know you don't want to have someone that you have a warding bond on get hit with a dragon's breath and like okay they take half but now you take half a dragon's breath and like that right. could easily be enough to just kill you outright from massive damage so having a much higher um maximum hp total is going to prevent that then fighter two and we're here for a couple of reasons. You get a fighting style. Defense is nice to increase your AC even more so that you just don't need to worry about people attacking you for the most part. Protection fighting style. If you find that you keep ending up in the middle of combat, even though you shouldn't, you can uh, grant... <laughs> if, you, if you find that you're bad at playing this character, <laughs> this if you're not, help. If you're not good at running away, um, right. you can throw up that shield and... Um, give an enemy disadvantage to attacking an ally which probably makes them miss which probably means you take no damage mm -hmm. uh, there's also interception which is a cool new one uh, that reduces the incoming damage to that ally by 1d10 plus your fighter level so you're sort of you're guaranteed to reduce some damage but really we're here for action surge so that you don't need to plan your warding bonds ahead of time whatsoever just in your first round of combat, it's twin warding bond, action surge, twin warding bond, and now the entire party is covered. In round one, you're set to go. After that, we take source to 10. The point of this is to increase your number of sorcery points so that you can do this as often as possible. Um, you know, every single combat, 
But there are also spells that are going to be very important here. Counterspell is very big because probably like the biggest weakness of this is AoE. <laughs> Imagine a situation where you have four, like three or four allies covered by Warding Bond and everyone gets hit by a fireball. And so do you. And so do you, yes. <laughs> so you, you are taking five, five people's half damage. Uh, yep. And maybe your whole damage. Maybe your own whole damage. Yeah. Right. In like the the worst case scenario. So like the best thing to do there is just to counterspell it. To like mm -hmm. not have it happen in the first place. <laughs> um, you want healing in your back pocket, probably healing yourself just in case. But you know, you are a primary spellcaster. You have tons of options in your pocket, like hold person. Nobody's gonna damage you if they're paralyzed, and also your allies can murder them. Same with hypnotic pattern. Fireball is good for you. Um, and then fourth level stone skin, which is usually not a great spell, but it does give resistance to all non-magical weapon damage. So if that is something you're facing and you just want to deal with that, you don't feel like raging, you can drop a stone skin. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would take all your ASIs that are not feats and dump them into either constitution for HP or intelligence for temp HP. Totally up to you. Uh, for magic items, if you have an opportunity, I would suggest item like x's of resistance rings of resistance armor resistance whatever to fill in the gaps of damage types that you're not always resistant to amulet of health is also really good here you know just having a 19 con is useful um headband of intellect would also be great just to give you a plus four static mod on those temp hp mm -hmm. and then yeah and then uh I think boosting your saving throws is also helpful, right? So yeah, totally. Mental anything, spell resistance. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Anything that can get you uh, get you higher saving throws because your real lose condition here is, is, as you said, right? Like getting trapped in AOE. Yeah. Um, protection from energy is a thing you can proactively throw on other people if you know that something is coming up. Um, the other thing here, though, is um, the one thing that ends the warding bond is if the target is ever more than 60 feet away from you. So, you know, you need to stay within 60. That's that's still a pretty decent amount of space. But if you ever need to end Warding Bond and you don't want to take the action in order to actively end the spell, you can just leave. And then the Warding Bond is broken and, like, you're safe, maybe long enough to, like, heal yourself or throw up some buffs or whatever, and you have enough sorcery points that you can throw out the Warding Bonds again as soon as you're okay. <laughs> or if you do drop to zero, right, the warding bonds fall, and then as soon as you wake up again, you can, like, throw them out again in the middle of combat. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, yep. So there we go. And you are going to be uh, the most popular person in the party. <laughs> Until you walk 61 feet away. <laughs> they lose all their defenses and get schwacked. <laughs> <laughs> Wingman! <laughs> uh, all right. Before we wrap up, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. And supporters at any level get access to our Plot Hook of the Week bonus content. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. All right, so what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about low and no prep GMing. And in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Doomsday Prepper. Well, that's it for episode 313 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 